we're going to talk about prayer again and uh, circling prayer. Um, you know, I've, I've never really stayed on a topic this long, I don't, I don't think. Uh, but I wanted, it just seems like every time I think I'm finished, you can come up with a different, a different idea, a different scenario. I receive, get in the mail, receive in the mail um, different books and things. And sure enough, right there is a, another issue, another uh, way of looking at prayer. So today, I call, this message is called Circling Prayer. And in Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 9, did I tell you what version? Did I? The message, good. That's what I have. I have the message uh, version. And Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. Now, the, the setting for this is Joshua, ha Joshua's, you know, the children of Israel have left their, their uh, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. See, prior to this, they had come to this uh, promised land. They sent spies in, come back out, and said, we can't go in, we're like grasshoppers, and they're too big for us, and then they took a 40-year trip in the wilderness. Well, now they've come back to the point of God has directed Joshua, is directing Joshua to go in and take the land. And so they have left the wilderness wanderings, and now they've come to this place of making a decision. And the decision is they are to go and possess the promised land. Land that was promised to Abraham, to their forefathers. So the problem with this is there are people who live there. Now, sometimes whenever we're thinking of our life and how that we are to make, we make changes in our life, we think that it should just happen. But you know, there's something, there's always difficulties that we're facing. And that's, uh, as we take the promises of God and we use them in our life, we're challenged with obstacles. And Jericho is a challenge to the children of Israel and how that they're going to face this obstacle and how they're going to conquer it. That's where we are in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. God said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's why the place is called the Gilgal. It's, called, it's still called that. The people of Israel continued to camp at the Gilgal. They celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. Anybody remember what Passover is? They were released from, they got out of Egypt, okay? They got out of Egypt by the plagues, and the last plague was the angel of death, and the children of Israel had uh, taken the lamb, slain the lamb, put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost of their homes. And when the angel of death came upon the Egyptian, Egyptian community uh, on Egypt, the, uh, the houses, the homes that had the blood of the lamb on, the angel of death passed over, Passover. So whenever the New Testament uh, analogy is, Jesus Christ is the lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. When his blood cleanses us from sin, death has no claim on our life. So... Just a little information there. So they celebrated Passover. This is, kind of, this is the first celebration of Passover since they left Egypt. You know, there was the night of the angel of death and the Passover. They have not celebrated that until this occasion. And it's on this occasion now that they remember bringing, being delivered from Egypt. And it's on this occasion they have a new challenge. Go and take Jericho. So right away... Um, the, the day after Passover, 
they started eating the produce of the country, unraised bread, roasted grain, and, and then no more manna. So the manna that they had been eating, waking up every morning and manna on the ground, now suddenly stops. They were no longer going to be fed by manna. They had to now take the land, the grain of the, the promised land, and they, that was now where they were going to find their food. Verse 13. And then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing, holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, Whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? Verse 14, he said, Neither. I'm commander of God's army. <laughs> I've just arrived. <laughs> and Joshua fell face to the ground in worship. He asked, What orders does my master have for his servant? He recognized God had shown up, <laughs> shown up at this place, and it's here that he is confronted with his orders. God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off. You're at the place you are standing is holy ground, and Joshua did. Then, jo then chapter 6. Jericho was shut up tight as a drum because the people of Israel, no one going in and no one coming out. God spoke to Joshua, look sharp now. I've already given Jericho to you, along with its kings and its crack troops. Here's what you are to do. March around the city, all your soldiers, circling the city once. Repeat this for six days. Have seven priests carrying seven ram's horns, trumpets, in front of the chest. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, the priests blowing away on their trumpets. And then, a long blast on the ram's horn. When you hear that, all the people are to shout at the top of their lungs. The city walls will collapse at once, and all the people are to enter every man straight on in. Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and told them, Take up the chest of the covenant. Seven priests are to carry seven ram's horn trumpets leading God's chest. Now the chest that he's talking about is the ark. The ark of the covenant com contains the Ten Commandments, um, Aaron's rod that budded, and also um, a, pic a picture of manna. So this was what out, what's out in front. It would be like the word of God in front of you and the, and the people, the, the priests and so on, carrying it and celebrating, blowing the ram's horn, announcing that God is coming. Um, they did all of that. Verse 10, Joshua had given to the people, don't shout, in fact, don't even speak. Not so much as a whisper until you hear me say shout then shout away. So as these people are walking around Jericho, they're not, the, they're not the talk. Now, I know some of us would have a problem with that. <laughs> I'm not going to say anybody in names or anything, but we would have a hard time being silent. So they're to be silent and while they're walking. Now, one of the things, you know, people, do you ever walk around difficulties? You know, emotionally, physically, you walk around problems. And what happens when you do that? you generally start talking negatively. I don't know why, but you become negative about it. But in this case, if we are silent, we're, and, and we're supposed to, and, and I hopefully they are reflecting upon how great the wall is, but also remembering where they've come from. They've just celebrated Passover, and how, how great their captivity was to the mighty empire of, of Egypt, and yet they walked out with everything they, they could ever long for. So now they're faced with the same difficulty. Um, 
He sent the chest of God, verse 11, sent the chest of God on its way around the city, circled once, came back to the camp, stayed for the night. Joshua was up early the next morning, and so on. Verse 14, on the second day, they again circled the city once and returned to camp. Verse 15, when the seventh day came, they got up early and marched around the city the same way, but seven times. Um, and on the seventh time around, the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua signaled the people, Shout, and God had given you the city, and the city and everything in it under the curse, and offered up to God. So they weren't allowed to take anything of the city. Um, so verse 20, the priests blew the trumpets, and when the people heard the blast of the trumpets, they gave a thunderclap, and the wall fell at once. And the people rushed straightway into the city and took it. Now, there are, you know, we said this before, there are no formulas for prayer. And the idea that if you, you know, say the same thing the same way every day, it's like repeating the Lord's Prayer. You can repeat the Lord's Prayer every day, and it's a great prayer. It's a great prayer. But whenever we just say it to say it, as if that's going to do something for us, some type of magic formula, doesn't mean anything. But if you take the Lord's Prayer and you just... Start and I say, Our Father. Remember? We, we just a few, few weeks ago. Our Father. And just think about that. The, the scripture says to meditate on things. That we are to meditate on the word and, and think of prayer as our Father. God is my Father. He's your Father. The same God I pray to is the same one you pray to. The same Jesus of the New Testament that I read about in, in the scriptures and what we teach about here. It's the same Jesus to each of us. So when I'm praying, God, help be, you know, to, to pray with someone about a need, I'm praying to your Father, who is my Father. And my Father, who is, has, has my undivided attention, gives his undivided attention to you. So I am praying that my Father, your Father, would touch your life. And I am taking the needs and, and the circumstances that I find myself in, I am taking them to God in prayer. Because prayer is a very important part of who we are as Christians. We cannot be a Christian without Christ. And whenever, you know, because Christ is the center of our faith. He is a living Christ risen from the dead who's part of our life and he ever lives to intercede for us. So Jesus is praying for us. We are praying to him and we are completing this circle of prayer in which God is wants only the best for our life and we are praying about the things in our life, offering our, uh, our thoughts and ideas and problems to God and we pray and God brings it back into our life and allows us to understand or dream or have visions, a vision of what we want to become and do. Well, today we're looking at Jericho. Imagine the children of Israel coming out of the wilderness. They've been out in this desert mountain region uh, for, for the last 40 years. They've been living in tents. They haven't been around any walled cities or walled encampments. And the first glimpse of Jericho is this awe-inspiring and yet frightening city. Never seen anything like this. Never been around any skyline like this before. Do you remember um, your first experience going into a large city? I always remember Rachel whenever we go into Pittsburgh. We go in, you know, through the tunnel, coming on the parkway from Monroeville. You go through the tunnel, and you go down there a little ways, and you make the bend, and there's Pittsburgh. 
you know, the skyline of Pittsburgh. It was kind of like always a thrill, or coming from the airport. You, you come through the, the tunnel, and boom, there's the bridge, and there's Three Rivers, and the stadium's on the left, and, and you know, the, the boat's on the right, and the city in front of you, and it's like, wow. That, that, you know, they don't have that in Wimber. <laughs> you know, you just don't see that in Wimber. <laughs> So, you can imagine the feeling of the children of Israel. They've never seen anything like this before. And the, the closer they get, the smaller they feel. You know, the closer you get to these skyscrapers, the smaller you feel that, like, whoa, they are big. And perhaps now these people understand what their ancestors felt 40 years prior when they said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. So... The ancient, their, ancient, their parents, grandparents, their parents, you know, 40 years, um, they left an opportunity behind. They left the opportunity to face the giants behind because they became afraid. Now, their children are faced with the same obstacles. Walls. The reason I have this up here is I never really understood what the walls of Jericho were, were about. Because, you know, I've been, you know, I've been doing this since I was a kid, you know, in Sunday school class, <laughs> talking about the walls of Jericho and how that you could ride chariots across the top of them. And what made them so, so formidable? Well, even when I was in Israel, we were at Jericho. I never under, I couldn't get a picture of what the walls were. And they had, they had houses on the walls. And it's like, I don't, I don't get this. So, I was on the internet last night, looked up the ancient walls of Jericho. I was going to have Jose try and get a picture, but I didn't ask him. So anyhow, it's not his fault, it's mine. So if you, um, and this was the diagram that they, they, they gave us, or it was on the, on the internet. If you have the plain of Jericho, and you have this wall, kind of like here, and then you have another wall on top of it, okay? Well, here's these people, and this is about a four-story building. This is about 40 feet high. So behind this, though, is dirt. Well, excuse me, just part way up to this, this area here. And then it goes uphill to the next wall. And the city of Jericho is up here. So whenever you're trying to attack the city, you've got a distance between this wall and this wall in here. And this is um, four stories and... And this one from here is 10 stories. So if you're a, a, you know, one of the Israelite soldiers, you're coming against not only this, you see this wall, that would be enough. But then you've got an incline up to this one. And then there's another wall up here wide enough to run chariots across. So Jericho was considered an impregnable fortress. And the history of Jericho, it's, it's said that they were some like 9,000 B.C. So this is an ancient city. This is a very ancient city. And um, in those days, they didn't, like if something fell down, they just built on top of it. And, you know, we were in uh, one of the tells, they call them tells, where they, they were fortresses, and uh, was Sol where Solomon had his horses and so on. And, and they called it a tell. 
and, and, you know, it's a military encampment. And what it was was a large area, and whenever a, a, a uh, what's that? Got it? Okay. That, that's part of it. It gives you kind of the modern day excavations of, of what's going on in Jericho. But a tell is that if somebody would come in and conquer uh, another empire, would come in and conquer, they would tear it all down, and then they would build on top of it. So whenever the uh, archaeologists are excavating, they will just go down, and at each level, they find a different empire. <laughs> they find different people who had conquered. So um, they, the, the one tell we were at had um, the horse stables of Solomon, and actually a trough that was used for the horses in Solomon's, in Solomon's uh, army. So you have this history, and it's all built on that. And if you go and do the excavations that are in um, Jericho, you find that these walls are all there. Now, so an army was to march around the city once a day for six days. Now, this city can comprise 12 acres, at least. So a 12-acre field. I'm not quite sure what would be a 12-acre field, but it's a pretty good size pretty good size uh, area. So this wall would encompass you know, around 12 acres inside. So you have 12 acres of ground inside, and inside this is all of the city and the fortress of, of Jericho. And again, Jericho's been around for centuries, not being able to be conquered. And here in the heart of the land that the children of Israel are to possess is this impregnable fortress. And so God brings them out of the wilderness and says, go to Jericho, and that's where we're going to start, and that's where we're going to, we're going to take on the biggest dog first. <laughs> we're going to fight the biggest battle first before we go on from here. So every, army, every soldier in the army then of, of Israel, they found this city, and I'm sure that you're walking around this 10-story building that goes the entire way around the city, and you're wondering, how on earth are we ever going to do this? How on earth are we not trained, not, you know, we don't have a military background, we don't have scaling wall uh, apparatuses, you know, we don't have a secret service to get in there and sabotage, we don't have ladders and catapults to to you know, throw rocks at the walls and take them down. We don't have any of that. So they're probably wondering, how on earth are we ever going to do this? And the only instructions they have is that they're to march around the wall once a day in silence. And then on the seventh day, they're to march around seven times, blow the trumpet, and all everybody shout and run into the city. How many are going to volunteer for this job? <laughs> You see, it's, not, it's kind of what? It's an impossible task. You see, God told the Israelite army to be, to, to be silent. Sometimes we just need to be quiet about our problems. And don't worry about them, but we begin to pray about them. And what does this have to do with, you know, walking around Jericho and walking around? What does this have to do with prayer? Well, this story is a prayer that this story is a story that challenges us to confidently circle the promise God has given us. 
confidently circle the promise God has given us. So armed with the promise of God that he has given us, we circle the problem. Now, Passover has already happened. Remember, they celebrated Passover. Jesus, that, that the blood of the Lamb, they had been delivered from the most powerful empire in the entire world. They were delivered from that by the blood of the Lamb that was on the doorpost of their heart. So, they were to circle. Now, this is just like a for instance. So, I circle you. And I circle you and I pray for you. I pray God would bless you. I pray that God would bless your family. I pray that God would bring blessing upon your life, bring wisdom and guidance to you. I pray that all of your problems, that you would sense that God has a way of working in you, that he has a way of touching your life and touching you in such a way that God's spirit would bless you, that he would, I get you guys in the middle, come on, don't be outside the circle. I pray that God would bless your life, and when you're in school, that God would bless you and give you wisdom. I pray that no matter where you're at in your travels, in your work, that God would be there with you. I pray that his spirit would touch you, and that he would bring peace to you in the difficult times of life, that God would touch your life in such a way that, it would be, that he would bring his glory to you. What did I do? I circled you with prayer. Now, there are obstacles that you and I, that you have, that I don't know about. But see, it isn't that I know about your obstacle. It's that I know the God who will help you overcome your obstacle. Okay? You pray for your children, your grandchildren. You pray about them. Pray about them. Hmm. You pray a circle around them, as it were. You pray that God would touch their life in such a way that would keep them safe, that they would be able to make wise decisions, that they would be uh, not influenced by the, the peer pressure. You see, we're building a hedge of protection. Job chapter 1, verse 10. And this was, this was a couple weeks ago we did Job. It's a very important pro this is a very important thing here we find in Job chapter 1, verse 10. Satan is complaining to God. Okay? And what is he complaining about? <laughs> he says, why, no one's ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possession. You bless everything he does, he can't lose. In one version it says, have you not made a hedge around him around his household, around all that he has on every side. Satan is complaining to God about Job that somehow God has built a hedge of around Job. Circle your problem with prayer. <laughs> somehow the devil can't get in. Somehow evil doesn't, it loses its influence. The, you know, the blood of the lamb that was spoken of with Egypt and, and, and so on, the blood of Jesus Christ, when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our life, 
It's like drawing a line, a circle, around us. And we focus on how that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. The blood that was shed upon the cross is sacred. And evil, Satan, demonic, whatever you want to call it, can't cross the line. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ is not just a figure of speech. It is the reality of God's love for you and I, demonstrated for us. And whenever we pray, our prayers are helping us to understand that the difficulties that we face are not as difficult and not as bad as the power of God to be able to overcome them. Now, uh, so we build a hedge of protection. We build a wall of prayer. So we see here how prayer can bring down walls. We see how prayer can create walls. Prayer can change you and I. It can change us to help us face our Jerichos. You know, the place and the circumstances that make you feel inferior. We all have them. We all have those places where we feel not as good as or inferior to someone because of something. All we're doing is comparing ourselves at the wrong level. That's all. We take our weaknesses, compare them to their strengths, and we say we can't do it. We feel inferior. Well, in this case, they're comparing their weaknesses to Jericho's strengths, and they're, you know, humanly speaking, no one has been able to conquer this city in thousands of years. And here is God telling them, march around the city and something will happen. Well, you see, Joshua, <laughs> this is Joshua's event with Jericho and symbolizes the fulfillment of a dream that originated with their ancestor, Abraham. There was a dream passed on to the children of Israel by Abraham. And Abraham was this guy who left his homeland and took his family and started out for a place that he didn't know where he was going and God would tell him when he got there. And he had this clan of nomads and he had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob who had, whose name was later changed to Israel because he had 11 sons. 12, and we have the 12 tribes of Israel that come out of that with Joseph and his kids and so on. But anyhow, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel end up in Egypt, and God delivers them. And here we have them here at Jericho. And it all started with a promise to one guy. Now, are any of you dreamers? <laughs> are any, any of you dreamers? <laughs> Dreams. What is it that you want to be? What is it that you want to do? You know, go back to school, write a book, move. No, they want that. Uh, <laughs> what is it you want to do? What is it that you want to do? What are, what are the dreams that you want to do? You see, often we look at this and we say, this is me, and this is my Jericho, my impossibility. And all I'm doing is praying around it. All I'm doing is praying about it. Because the dream is, and often the dream originates with a promise. 
the dream originates with a promise of what I can become. Now, sometimes we have misguided dreams. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be a football player. I wanted to play the big 33 game. Back then, it was the, you know, the, we played, there was 33 guys from, the, from Pennsylvania played 33 people from Texas. That was the big 33 game. Now they have the big 33 game, it's in Hershey, and 33 from the east play 33 from the west. It's still the big 33 game. But my friend made it. My friend, my friend was a, a, a back, and, you know, halfback, whatever. He had, um, went to the University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, excuse me, went to Georgia Tech on a full scholarship, did every, you know, did all of that. And I always thought, oh, I want to do that. But you know what? I was a 180-pound lineman. <laughs> Uh, 180 pound lineman, you know, 300 guy, pound guys now play line. So it wasn't going to happen, but that was what I wanted. And then I went to college to be a football coach. That was my goal. I was going to go be an athletic, you know, gym teacher, football coach, that type of thing. And it was there that God called me to be a minister. So I left being a football coach and went to um, Bible school to be a preacher. So here I am. Short, long story short, I was a guy with a dream, but God had a different plan. And my Jericho was, I thought, to become a football player, but in reality, it was to be a minister and to work with people's lives and to challenge individuals. And you see, we look at this, what promises are you praying around? See, you know, what Jericho symbolizes the fulfillment of a dream that originated with Abraham. Now, we look at it, what promises are you praying around? What miracle are you marching around? What dream does your life revolve around? So what is it? What is your Jericho? What is it that you are looking at that seems like an impossible task? So here's the outline. It's not the formula. It's an outline. Define the need, Jericho. Define the promise, God will give you the city. Define the action, walk seven days. And on the seventh day, walk seven times. You see, there is a consistency about what we do. There is a definite action that we take. There is a definite plan that we have in place that we are allowing God to inspire us and that we act upon that plan. You know... In Jericho, in Luke chapter 18, verse 35 to 43, this is Jesus here at Jericho. Same city. It's about, um, the reason we know, in, in, in the desert area, in the desert area, they build cities around water. Imagine that. Jericho has an oasis. I've been to the oasis of Jericho. They're not quite, they're, 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 that's, and it's not the same city that, uh, so Jericho is a real city, and it's still there today. Jericho's still there today. And it's, but it's not this Jericho that fell, we don't think. They think that it's about a mile down the road or something. That's what some people have said. But anyhow, Jesus is at Jericho. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the road, begging, and hearing the multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. 
So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who went before wanted him to be quiet. Isn't that something, how that when you have a dream, and someone tells you, oh, don't talk about that. Here's a blind man that knows that Jesus is coming, and he's, he won't shut up. He wants Jesus to know that he is there. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? This is the most, and I, you know, I use this, I talk about, this is the most foolish question anybody could ever ask. <laughs> Jesus sees a blind man. And a blind man says, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, What do you want? Now, isn't that kind of stupid? God who knows, Jesus who knows everything, what does he want this blind man to do? He wants him to define exactly what it is that he wants him, Jesus to do. See, walking around Jericho, what is it exactly that you want God to do? If you don't say exactly what it is you want God to do in your prayers, then you know, there's not this, well, God, you know I need help. Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> but the idea is, what help do you need? What specifically are you asking God? What promise are you asking God to see? You see, prayer can be instant. This Jesus said unto him, receive your sight. Lord, I want to receive my sight. Jesus said, receive your sight. Boom, it was done. For Jericho, Israel had to believe and had to march. And one of the key, for, the key verses in this, this text is verse um, 2 when, uh, of, Luke, of Joshua chapter 6. God spoke to Joshua and says, Look sharp now, I've already given Jericho to you. That word is past tense. I've already given Jericho to you. Now, I want you to go and march. See, the answer to our prayer may already be here. We just need to act upon what God wants to do. We need to act upon what God wants to accomplish in our life. You see, God said, I have delivered. The battle was won before the battle ever began. God has already given them the city, and now all they have to do was to circle it. Our faith doesn't, true faith, doesn't, does, not, 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 does not necessarily celebrate after the victory. Our faith celebrates before the victory. That's what makes people of faith visionaries. We begin to see things as if they already were. That we, already, we believe that God will answer our prayers and we begin to act upon the answer to that prayer. So Joshua had the people march seven times around the city. You know, once a day for seven days, seventh day, seven times. Now, the challenge here is this. The scripture says that when they marched and on the seventh time around the city, on the seventh day, they blew the trumpet, they did everything, and what happened? Walls fell, and everyone went straightway into the city. 
What happened was, when the walls came down, they filled in the gaps. The walls collapsed in such a way that they were able to ascend the hill and take the city. The walls were taken down. Now, as they're marching, they haven't got a clue how this is going to happen. But they have to believe, and they marched in faith, believing God was going to answer their prayer. And these walls collapsed in such a way that the whole city was able to be accessed by the children of Israel. You see, God has a way of making things happen in our life as we walk by faith. And people who pray are people who see things differently. We see things as, as if they could be different than what they are. We, we believe that God isn't done with us. We're not finished being who we are. We're in the process of becoming. And the problem is, as we get older, we become more analytical, more factual, and less visionary. But people of prayer become greater in seeing things that are in people that can become. Seeing possibilities in people. Seeing things about life that, it, it, you know, it looks this way, but you know what? There's something else here. There's something greater here. There's something in you that's special. There's something different about you. And you see, we live too small a life inside the walls of our sameness. We live too small of a life inside our walls of sameness. We like things the same because we feel safe. But in reality, we are just dying out from the inside. God has life for us to live and live to the fullest. My, my peace I give unto you. And he also says that I will make a way for you where there is no way. That there are mountains and obstacles that you face. But don't worry about them, that he is greater than them. You see, we, we need, I wrote down here, feeling secure in your sameness. We all can feel secure in our sameness. But tear down your walls, walk around them, live by the promises and the expectations, blow the trumpets. You see, declare the promises of God. What is it that you want? Define it, believe it, bring it before God, and pray about it and allow God to touch your life in a way that inspires you to do something. And just because you think it, <laughs> there was a cartoon. Uh, I don't know if I told this one. I don't know. I told two. Anyway, this cartoon, it says, preacher's counseling his, his um this guy, and, 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 and the preacher tells the guy he's counseling, uh, being always right is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> That's a little humor. <laughs> being always right is not a spiritual gift. Because you think it doesn't mean God wants you to do it. Because you think it also says you need to pray about it. Receive God's direction. Start off praying and asking God to lead you. And he will put the things in place to take you where you need to go. And if you're confronted with a Jericho, 
It doesn't mean you quit. It just means we begin to pray about how God is going to help us overcome it. Amen?